1: Hello and welcome to SMPD, the podcast where we look back at the shows that shaped our childhood. This episode we're off to the magical land of Oz for Round the Twist.
0: Yeah, now Round the Twist for me, I remember it more for the theme song than I do for the actual show.
1: Yeah, I Um, think that's everybody. That theme song is is fucking ace, let's be fair.
0: Yeah, it's really catchy and unfortunately having gone back and tried to pick a few bits up uh, this week, it's now been stuck in my head for about three days.
1: Yeah, it's um, proper cheesy though. That's the problem, isn't
0: it? Although it's better than Baby Shark, so you know, at least there's uh, there's a bonus there. Yeah, pretty um, much
1: anything's better than fucking Baby Shark, to be fair. Um, don't let yeah. Let's not get started on Baby Shark because I've already debated that for a good hour today. Um, there were issues with the narrative of that song,
0: but yeah, that's a fair point. We'll uh, take those off there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I hadn't realized how, how how many episodes there were. Um, there were 52 episodes in all. There were four seasons, which I didn't realize. They were quite um, so far you,
1: apart though, weren't they? That was the problem.
0: They, they were. One was in 89, one was in 92, one was in 2000 and one was in 2001. Um, and even though they were all the same characters and it would be very easy just to say, fuck it, we'll have new characters and tell the same sort of story. Um, they basically recast people for pretty much every season. So um, the the um, the twists um, had at least two actors playing every character. Um, which is quite bizarre. You think if you're if you hanging a show on on a family, you, you'd want to keep as much continuity as you can.
1: Yeah. But I suppose I mean, you're
0: working with kids, you kind of have to love the fact that if you're setting it at setting it the same time but you're filming it a decade apart, they're going to get older.
1: They're going to get older, yeah. And it's a little bit weird because, I mean, it is essentially an anthology show. I know there is each season kind of has a really loose arc where we follow... The family through some various things, like the first one's all about sort of the music coming from upstairs in the lighthouse and stuff, and yeah. there is this kind of story that runs through, but it, it is essentially like almost a kind of Twilight zone light kind of kids anthology series, so there'd be no reason why... It Had to be, well, I guess it's called round the twist, but there's no reason it would have to be the twist, I don't think. Every every season, you know, if the actors had grown up and moved on, then just bring a new character in. It doesn't necessarily I mean, need to be the same. You can also
0: do it the way that they did, um, Are You Afraid of the Dark? You bring in cousins and you bring, no, you, you you expand it a little bit. And i do, no, do like the bloody, um, like the Waltons did, you, you just start adding extra family members nobody knew about to keep the continuity going.
1: Yeah, definitely, and especially when you consider like the the dad is always referred to as like a hippie and stuff. It's a bit of a running joke because the show kind of started in the in the late '80s, and your main antagonist's kind of a a real estate developer or whatever he is, and he's always referring to like the dad as that bloody hippie, and he's, he's sort of yeah. artist and stuff. So, I mean, you could almost make a gagery that he's you know he's relatively footloose and fancy free, you know. I mean, the show definitely didn't shy away from. Kind of innuendo and adult humour and stuff, so you definitely could have got away with that, I think.
0: I think quite possibly, um, and given I mean we've talked about um, sort of Australian sensibilities and sort of senses of humour and things like that in, in previous episodes, it wouldn't have been out of place to have that that sort of narrative and that sort of joke where you are taking the piss out of somebody for something that's actually quite normal and quite commonplace.
1: Yeah, and I mean, yeah, you you you've touched on it there. The humour is very Australian in this as well, so I think it would have worked. But there's a lot of it is really toilet humour, isn't it?
0: So. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you, you look even. I mean, that was 1989, the first series, we're now almost in 2019, and in the in the intervening 30 years, not a lot has changed with so the a lot of the content on Australian television. There is there is a lot of what you'd have sort referred of refer to as sort of smut or sort of, i say, toilet humour um, because that's kind of the, the, the way they are. I mean, it, um, Australian television is very similar to British television and they have a lot of British exports so they'll they have had a lot of things like carry-ons and Benny Hills and things of like that in, in years gone by and that kind of informs a lot of their humour, the same as it has with us. same things like Monty Python. So as, as, a, as a sort of nation, they've grown up with a lot of stuff with like that and so sort of latterly they've picked up American shows but they haven't had the same impact as, as some of the British shows and so the that type of humour hasn't—it's evolved really to a point where now there there is a lot of toilet totally humour. There is a lot of very you know very wry misses about a lot of their homegrown shows.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's nothing kind of highbrow or witty in the humour here, and I, that's not necessarily to say it's a bad thing. It totally fits with the, the tone of the show, and especially for um, for a kids show, I mean watching it back now some of it's a little bit grown worthy but as a kid i remember absolutely fucking loving this show and loving the fact that they were haunted toilets and people were getting yeah. shit on everywhere and like quite literally shit on and there was a lot of like body horror involved as well i seem to remember with things like growing on bodies and stuff and yeah i you know it's that kind of gross stuff that as a like a what 89 so by the time we got it, it was probably round about 1991. I would have been 10 years old. I would have fucking loved that stuff. You know, there's nothing yeah. like a good fart gag when you're 10. I'm so, not like a know. good fart gag now. Well, except a good dick joke. But, I mean, you know, I it, I don't really want to say that it's, it's lowbrow. You know, I've just said there's no highbrow humour in there. But at the same time, I don't want to say it's lowbrow. It's certainly still... It's, it plays fairly well for what it is you know watching it back now I, I still laughed at it I'll be honest I don't know if that says yeah. anything about me or the show but actually the show is surprisingly well made for the time I think and that does kind of still ring true it's it's obviously dated but you can see that there was general there was genuine kind of love and affection gone into this thing and a certain amount of, of budget as well like the effects at the time can't have been cheap they look shit now but, yeah. you know, the kind of composites and things they were pulling off with those ghosts, they weren't cheap at the time, particularly for TV, so... No, that's
0: right, and I mean, I, I've, I've gone back, and I, sort of, I haven't been able to find full episodes. I've sort of picked up clips here and there, which have been enough to sort of remind me what the show is about and how it looks and things like that, and you do get the impression that they've, spe- they've, they've gone, right, okay, we have a budget. It's not a massive budget. It's certainly not like a Disney TV budget or anything like that, but we have a budget. Let's make the best show we can make. And so rather than spending a lot of money on set dressing and locations, let's spend a lot on the effects and make it look like we want it to look rather than just going, oh, well, yeah, we kind of had to go with a shit version because we couldn't afford it. And, they, you know, they, what, you know what, what you see is what you'd expect. What You don't you, know, you, you don't want to be looking at things going, oh, well, that looks shit. That's not scary. That's not convincing at all. You actually look at it and go, oh, at the t- oh certainly at the time, you'd have gone, oh, yeah, that's Agnum. That's that's a real ghost. That's that's a real skeleton. That's some a- for, for a kid, you're not going to be looking and thinking, well, that looks rubbish. looks like they painted it, on the screen or painted it on the film.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, even as an adult now, there are, like, yes, those ghosts are, are sort of composite effects, but they're not terrible. You know, they, they're very much of their time. Um, yeah. You'd see worse in films for the time, to be honest. And even, like, I have watched quite a few full episodes, actually. Um, they're all on YouTube, folks, as usual, and it is an official channel with adverts and stuff built into it so you're not breaking any laws if you want to go and watch season one on youtube um but there's i mean there's puppet work involved here as well which yes yes they're cheap puppets you know we're not talking this isn't henson but i think had they had any more budget and had they been tempted to go into early 90s cg um this would have aged very very badly but having puppets there even. Yeah, even bad puppets, there's still something physical and real there for people to react to. And they pull it off fairly well. I mean, look, nobody's going to win any awards here, but the performances are not awful, you know. So they managed to sell the fact that there's a puppet there.
0: So Yeah. And I mean, I've got to be talking about the performances that um, we did um, Are You Afraid of the Dark not too long ago. Um, and I think you look at some of the performances in that and that we talked about, they were so overacted, they were so cheesy. And i you didn't get that here I mean you you, you look at some some performances and you look you look, certainly look at the kids and you're actually yeah they're not they're not playing for the gallery they're just going oh well yeah okay, we're telling a story, so fuck it, let's tell it and know they they're not sort of, they're not trying their big outside voice to try and see now see what's the best thing they can do is and I think for me from certainly the bits I saw um it's no that that's certainly of a benefit to it, whereas. It, if anything, it cheapens Are You Afraid of the Dark, which I, th- I think is unfair to you Are You Afraid of the Dark, because you know, it's it's not a bad show. But you look at sort of the way this is put together, and it was one of those I went, actually, yeah, if, if I was put the two of them side to side, I'd rather watch this than that.
1: Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll come on to that sort of thing later on when we close out. But yeah, unquestionably, I would watch this again over Are You Afraid of the Dark any time um Hmm. and and those performances it's not just the performances it is the level of storytelling here as well i know i've said it's an anthology show but there is as i say also that kind of overarching narrative it's very very loose but there is an overarching narrative throughout the throughout the season and there are character relationships that develop as well um and that kind of gets you involved as well but yeah more importantly no one is pitching to the gallery there are some caricature style performances there are some very broad character characters much like you would get in a soap opera um yeah. but they've written that way and so when they played that way it doesn't seem particularly out of place i can't remember his name now but as i say the main antagonist the, the kind of uh, estate agent come villain the, kind gribble. of guy Gri- that's it yeah gribble, gribble yeah. yeah um you know he's played as a snide yuppie um he, but that's he, he, that's he's how bad, he's written like so
0: but, it's fine uh, yeah it's I mean it's it's one of those so say I mean and I remember we talked about with Afraid of, Are You Afraid of the Dark that you've got you know you've got children play, you know, playing in stories until ch- you've got children introducing stories and you've got children involving stories but they are absolutely swinging for the fences they're making sure that everybody knows they're acting their little hearts out
1: yeah absolutely and and, and I think that is partly because they are all kids as well whereas here there are There are three main kids, and then there's sort of some other tertiary characters who are in school with them, and the bullies, and that kind of thing. Um, But there is also quite a large adult cast that those kids can, can anchor onto. And they yeah. do a lot of the kind of heavy lifting where it's needed. You know, we've got a dad character to sell us pathos when we need it and give advice and, and things like that, and even to be Joe Exposition where it's needed as well. We've got yeah. that there, so the kids don't have to struggle with that, and they're not making a meal of exposition. And there's also yeah. not that kind of... With Are You Afraid of the Dark, because of the setup and because the stories are being told, that exposition is front-loaded straight away, and it's I think it's very difficult for a young actor... To get their head around that without really making a meal out of it, um, yeah. whereas there's no need to do that here, it's a lot more comfortable uh, because it's, yeah. it's told in an organic, narrative way, um, and yeah. unfolds slowly, so I definitely think it works better from that standpoint um, yeah, plus definitely. I definitely. think, compared to Are You Afraid of the Dark, which I mean, yes, it was still a kid's show but it did go for out-and-out scares whereas yeah. this kind of doesn't. It's kind of just more spooky in the way that, say, Scooby-Doo was spooky. It's, at no point does this really go for the throat and try and scare you. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's fair. Yeah, it's it's almost more of a kind of fantasy show than it is a horror show. Um, it's yeah. just because there's ghosts and monsters and, as I say, a, a certain amount of body horror even as well involved in this. We tend to lump it in with those kind of goosebumps and are you afraid of the dark shows and i think that's a little unfair um i think if anything it's got more in common with a kind of kids drama like uh well, i guess a grange hill or something or even a neighbor's um you know avoid yeah vs australian comparison but it's got it seems to have more in common with those shows i think than it does with the horror shows
0: well yeah i mean if you look into the description and it's um the description on wikipedia is very similar to the description on the actual um the the, external, the, the website for the show um and it's a run twist an australian children's fancy television program about three children and their widowed father who live in the lighthouse of a fictional town i mean it's uh, and it goes on soap bizarre magical adventures it's not it's not even billing itself as a horror and i think you're right i think i mean I, i'd always until going back and looking at this i'd always sort of associated it with things like goosebumps now you've read the dark because it just had that, um, that sort of supernatural element to it and remembering it in a very vague, very distant sort of way that went, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, it's kind of the same as that. It's kind of like that. Okay, well, that's fine. But actually, when I say, when you watch it back, and so I'm just reading back what I've read about it the last couple of days, it's a very different show to certainly what I remember.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's I wouldn't say it's very different to what I remember because I do remember it being more lighthearted. But... it it definitely isn't quite the show I remember and it it is that when you think back onto it um sort of sort of through your memories and stuff you do think of two things you think initially of the theme tune we all think of the theme tune I guarantee when you first saw the heading above this podcast before you downloaded it when you're listening out there the first thing you did was sing the theme tune it is just one of those those tunes so that's the first thing and then the second thing is when you when you go to the narrative of it all I could just remember the ghosts. I remember that they weren't menacing at all, but I remember mm. they being ghosts. That's what I took away from it. Uh, and so I just automatically made that leap to it being like a haunted lighthouse and it being a bit creepy and stuff. Um, yeah. It's kind of not at all. Even when they do go, like the the initial pilot episode involves a ghost. It involves a, a haunted toilet. Um, yeah. and, and even when they do try and go for those initial scares, it's not terrifying because the, the ghost is like a smiling mime almost because the ghost can't communicate. He has no, no sort of way of vocalising. But he, he's always kind of smiling and using these hand gestures and stuff. So he's not scary at all. He just, uh, maybe as a kid, if you're scared of ghosts, he's just scary by default, you know?
0: Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, it'd have been the same sort of time. I mean, you had um, the first Ghostbusters film, and I think um, the real Ghostbusters was on TV around right this time as well. And they'd taken Slimer and they'd made him a very happy, smiling, friendly ghost who couldn't communicate. And again, it's, th- it's something else that would have been insanely popular; that people would resonate with. And I, th- I think that's part of the appeal here. Is, you know, rather than I said, rather than having a big, scary ghost that's going around that's going around terrifying people and haunting people, it's actually just a bit, you know, a bit funny and a bit, a bit crude.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know what happened in the latest seasons as we got more into the 90s and 2000s. Maybe it got a bit edgier. Um, I, having read the synopsis of the later seasons, I have a vague recollection of the third one, though I don't really remember watching it. Maybe I just caught some episodes, um, but I yeah. certainly well, watched you, seasons one and two. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you want to know
0: whether it became a bit darker or a bit more sinister to the later series, this is the first episode of season three. Uh, it's called The Big Burp. And the synopsis is, while urinating on a magic tree, Pete gets magically impregnated by a dryad.
1: Wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so there we go with that kind of weird humour straight away. And they're not afraid to go for things like that, like a story about kind of essentially artificial insemination, I guess. Um, And to a man as well. So, you know... (laughs) To be fair, that would have been what season three? What did you say was it early two thousand?
0: That was two thousand. That that one aired on the 29th of February two thousand. Um, and yes, and when you look at some of the other episodes. I mean, um, if you um, if you look on Wiki for Run to Twist episodes, there's a, there's a page just on the episodes, and it's got the, the sort of description of every one. Um, but even then, even though they've you know they've gone down that route of becoming a little bit stranger and a bit weirder and a bit, possibly a little bit darker, you still have that overarching story for each season. Um, and then, so the the, the, the continuity through that, so still got um, the the dad, and I want to say, Faye was the um, the teacher. I can
1: um, to... no. I know it was the school teacher, and they were kind of on again off. The yeah, Faye, the Faye whole Faye James. Um,
0: yeah. yeah, so I mean, and but the only difference is she lives with them in the third and fourth seasons. Um, I don't know. Whereas where they're engaged in season two. You know, it's, it's just things keep, things keep moving on, and you have this sort of real life feel to it, where the things in their life are still happening. So as well as having all these some the monster of the week type stories, they still got their real lives to go back to as well.
1: Uh huh. And and that kind of goes back again to what I was saying about that kind of almost soap opera quality to it, Um, in that you know it it was about these relationships as well. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how that would look if you watched all four back to back. Now I guess each one's a self-contained season, but with that change in actors that must be quite disconcerting i mean i can't actually remember actors changing over as i said i only really watched series one and two um yeah and i don't think maybe they just managed to cast a load of people that looked remarkably similar but i well, don't possibly. really remember I mean, a changeover
0: only, there are only four um four characters who played by the same people in the first and second seasons um richard moyer played the, the father tony um Robin Gibbs played Fay um Bunny Brook which is a hell of a name um played uh, Nell Richards and uh, Espen Storm who was the director um played Ralph Snapper for the first three seasons apart from those everybody was changed um after the first season and uh, and then uh only um Gribble was played by the first person going into the third and fourth seasons I mean so, no, they 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 constantly changed i mean it to to watch it as a as a show as it would have been on weekly and then to go away for a year or not three years in between the first and second seasons and then come back, you'd be forgiven to you know for thinking, oh well, they've changed a bit since they since they've grown up. And then to go ten years on or eight years on, okay, well now I can see why they've had to cast new people. The only big jump would be to the following season when actually, yeah, they've saying that they only recast three people for that um that fourth season, so everybody else did the two the two year run so I mean no, it's, there, there weren't massive changes there either um, but if you were to try and watch it as is the 21st century way of watching things whereby you have 52 episodes and they really know a, a, a six pack of beer and a really large thing of popcorn you're going to notice oh fuck they've changed the people oh fuck they've changed the people again how the hell am I supposed to keep up with this I don't know who's who
1: yeah I mean it's not uncommon particularly in Australian soaps for just people to magically appear with a different face one day um, recasting True. is quite common um, but it's definitely weird for it to happen for each specific season and especially for it to be those main four characters um, and with the way they progress the narrative as well each season and give it its own arc you'd think they would have just let those kids grow and just shifted through time with them so I mean okay there might have been a span of 10-11 years by the time it finished but that takes your youngest twist through to pretty much adulthood so yeah. you could have just followed that and written people out or let them go on and have their own lives or follow them into jobs or yeah. whatever you're going to do
0: well that's it. i mean you'd have to in order to keep the sort of the dynamic working you kind of have to write them out wouldn't you and bring in new twist children to to sort of to re-anchor it effectively i mean you, you wouldn't want to you know you wouldn't be expecting a you now 20 year old speak you now to be experiencing shit demons he's been experiencing since he was nine you know, and things like that. So I mean you, there are ways you could there were ways you could get around it, um which aren't necessarily recasting year in, year out, but that's what they did. Um it's it's easy to say guess now, so I'd have done this, I'd have done that. I mean that those are the decisions they made. And for better or worse, you no, know, they, they kind of stuck with them.
1: Yeah. I mean it's just odd for there to be such a span of time between shows as well. I don't know uh, a great deal about Australian TV networks, but I don't know if that's because of networks and, and the way they would have aired things, or so I don't know if that was just purely a budgetary thing, but to go that length of time is just, it really is bizarre. Because uh, they weren't massively long seasons either, I don't think. They were
0: no, 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 13 episodes per um, per season. Um, I, there's not really much written about why there was such a gap in the middle. The only sort of massive difference is that um, it's was created by... Um, uh, I want to say Peter Jennings or it might be Paul I can't remember um, Paul Jennings um, it was created by Paul Jennings and, he, and based on um, I want to say based on books that he'd written or stories that he'd written and then the third and fourth seasons were written by numerous writers so you no know, maybe in the case that they couldn't have, he didn't want to do it he wanted to do other projects there were other plans that didn't go through and they, or they'd say they wanted a different they he'd they, finished and they wanted to go in a different direction um, it's not really no it's not really clear it's not really written anywhere I mean the, all the stuff I've read it just seems to be it was on and it wasn't and it was and it wasn't for a long time and then it was on again and then it finished um and it doesn't really seem to be any sort of rhyme or reason to it um and so the only the, the massive difference is it didn't draw from from the original material so it's, it's quite it's it's quite bizarre and so you you'd, I, mean, I know we get a lot of things that go off the air and are now rebooted and stuff like that but it doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it it just seems to be oh well that was all right that made us a bit of money yeah fuck it
1: let's do it again yeah i mean i do remember there being books i remember um you used to get like this book magazine thing come around school and you'd like order books from this magazine and then they'd come like two weeks later or whatever yeah and i do remember there being books because i had some um i can't remember back far enough to compare sort of the book to the show in as in terms of how faithful it was um yeah but, I mean, that does make you wonder then whether that potentially, I mean, you just said the word there, things get rebooted and remade and stuff all the time. And it makes you wonder whether going back to that source material lets them have another crack at it now. You know, this is the kind of thing that, I mean, how many shows has Netflix rebooted from our childhood already? Well, know? yeah, exactly. And, it, and this kind of thing is just ripe for it now. Um, there's a young adult show just ready to go here. it doesn't even have to be Australian really if they want to set in America well, no, and up the right. budget they can do it, I think they'd probably lose a lot of the humour if it was done anywhere else um, I, I, I yeah, definitely think it's maybe a little stereotypical and perhaps even a slightly xenophobic view of Australians but there's definitely a, there's an element of dumb Australian humour to it uh, and I don't mean that in an offensive way at all that is just what it is you know things like just the word things like there's an episode that's skeleton in the dunny. Well, yeah, that's just, the first episode. Yeah, you you don't get away with that anywhere else. You know, and the, even the title itself is funny.
0: So well, that's it. And I, I mean, a lot of that is, is it's due to sort of the the, the not the translation, but sort of the, the the slang that's used um as part of their their lexicon. I mean, if you look at um episode eight, of the first season, it's called Wonder Pants. Um, Pete's underpants become blessed with magical powers after you use the microwave to dry them. You know, again, you don't you don't tend to get things like that here. We certainly didn't certainly didn't at the time. You know, pe- people were still very on kids shows, especially very afraid of talking about underpants and talking about underwear and things like that because they didn't want the connotations and they didn't want they didn't want people sort of start talking about underwear in in, in relation to children. No.
1: Um uh, that's probably even more a hot topic now than it ever would have been however that is a fantastic <laughs> title and a brilliant premise and i do very vaguely remember that episode now as well i've not reached that in my rewatch yet but i'm i'm going to now because i remember that one
0: <sighs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean but then the, the flip side that reading the description of it um again it halves to that sort of not just the sort of the, the type of story they turn but the sense of humor as well um, Pete's underpants become blessed with magical powers after he uses a microwave to try them. Unfortunately, a frog race and a shrinkage problem leave Pete all alone and a bit undressed. So again, you know, even even the description of it is setting up for a gag.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's pants shrinking, not penis shrinking. But yeah, the description itself, reading it as an adult, is funny. Uh, yeah, right.
0: Uh, that, so, yeah, uh, I mean... <sighs> Yeah, you just, I mean, talking about some sort of things maybe not translating and not not coming, and sort of not necessarily translating to other countries and other cultures. I think it's a, the, the Australianism is very big. It's a very big part of, sort of what, how this show is set up. And if you were to move this to, I don't know, the Midwest of America or even sort of somewhere like Portland or something else, sort of the, the Northwest, it's not going to have, you're not going to have the same sensibilities there. You're not going to have the same characterization you'll have there to the point where it becomes a completely different show. The, the premise would be the same. You'd have a family probably called The Twists because you need know, to keep the name, and it's a nice pun. But then you wouldn't have the same characters. You'd have people with the same names doing completely different things and acting completely differently because you'd are trying to set. you be trying to set it. If you were to do it now, you are try to be set it in a way that it appeals to a lot more countries and a lot more territories than just, well, it'll play well in our country and fuck everybody else, which is kind of what they did with, when they put the original one out.
1: Yeah, I guess I mean even the, the core concept of the character of um of the dad now, him being this kind of um free artist and stuff that he was in the nineties, he'd now be a fucking hipster. So instead of somebody that's just, you know, a little bit out there and zany, he'd be fucking incredibly annoying.
0: Um so
1: yeah. he but I, I don't know detective. what to do that I don't
0: think again, you you try to make make the character identifiable and people would look at that and go He's the father, he wouldn't be able to act like that. He'd be working in a factory for minimum wage and busting his ass on double and triple shifts. And his you know, his old his old passion, his old hobby, is something that he now looks back on very fondly, but he hasn't got time to be a sculptor anymore because he's working double and triple shifts to keep his kids in, or keep food on the table and keep his kids in school. And there they, they, they would need to be, or there would be an expectation for, there to be a lot more depth to the characters.
1: Yeah, isn't it part of the conceit though, and I may be misremembering this, but isn't... I'm sure there's like really valuable paintings and stuff in the lighthouse. So I I I don't don't know, I can't remember. I don't think they're struggling for money. Um, I'm not sure, but I can't remember how it's set up. I don't know if he sells a sculpture that's worth something or whether... I'm sure... There's definitely an arc in season two with his ghosts in one of the paintings. And there's this lost painting kind of thing, most definitely. Um but I may be misremembering obviously. that. As I say, I, I haven't hit season two on this rewatch yet. Uh notice I say yet. Um <laughs>
0: Yeah. I think that's possibly a hint of what's to come later on. Uh
1: yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um Okay, so I guess when you look at something like this compared to, like we've compared it to the American shows and we've sort of looked at cartoons in the past as well and said about how impressed we are with the narrative of them and stuff like that when they they're not intentionally going for this i think where this works and why i've enjoyed it probably is that they it's unashamedly stupid and silly and it's there right in the title so yes there's a there's an ongoing narrative there's a through line as we say but you know I don't know. Maybe, having said that, I was going to say I don't think there's too much to be gained from it. It's just good silly fun. But then when you get on to some of the stuff you described in the later seasons, which I've not seen, you know, things like male impregnation and stuff like that. I don't know. Maybe there is something to be found in it later on as well. If I keep going, maybe. And I think
0: that the problem there comes with you may have a tonal shift between the, the sort of the, the one writer who had a he he wrote or no he. They were basically, it was based on his material that he wrote all the episodes. He had a very, you know, a, a very um, heavy influence on the show for the first two seasons, and then was replaced with a team of writers. So, I mean, totally, they may, they may have decided they wanted to go slightly differently, and that, that may have, that may have spoiled what could have been a decent throughout for the characters, and, and made things particularly you know, potentially darker, potentially sillier. I'm not sure, but I think. I think having the arc, having sort of the, the through line helps because I mean, you, even uh, especially because you have different cast members, you different people playing the same people. At least by having a through line, you can kind of go right, okay, well, in season one they were doing this, so the, that character is now doing this as a follow on from that, and you kind of you can pin the story on on the character rather than the actor. Whereas if it was if it's Monster of the Week and it's not, and the through line's not there, people are saying, what the fuck is this? this week? Ooh, who am I watching now? So I think yeah. that's, it's kind of important. I think that's why it's important they kept the through line there. Um, and I think that from the way they've done it and from certainly from what I've read and the, the, the snippets I've seen, you do really need that. And I think it's important, but because it's so important, it really does pay off.
1: Yeah. I, I think as well as the through line with, with the characters as well, once they make change face four times Uh, or twice in some cases but four times over the course of the show coming back to that caricature thing as well it was quite easy to identify them because they did all have something about them much in the same way like all of the ninja turtles had different color headbands or something like that like it was the the girl was into i I distinctly remember was into like judo or karate or something because she'd always be practicing like whatever it was whatever martial art it was
0: can I read you the character description from Wiki, and just I, I want to hear your reaction to this right? Okay. So, Linda Twist. Linda Twist is the female twin. Uh, she's into feminism, environmentalism, and judo.
1: <laughs> so she's a what? dyke, pretty much. Um, she didn't come across as a dyke in the show.
0: Um... <laughs> but I mean, I'd love to know. And it's obviously when when you're on Wiki, you've got some keywords that are um, hyperlink to other things. And if you click over, it says feminism, it takes you to a link to tell you what feminism is. I, I'm trying to rack my brains trying to remember how they actually, you know, how they've portrayed that she's into feminism. I just don't I, get it. I can't understand how you do that without making them a militant lesbian or, you know, death which, to all men.
1: Yeah, which, which by the way was my intent in saying, again, not using that as any kind of derogatory term. The instant image that's conjured up from that character description is a butch dykey lesbian um that is not how she's portrayed as a character at all uh she certainly isn't if if she does go on about feminism it i imagine it's almost in that slightly offensive early 90s way of actually segregating herself through feminism it's certainly not that she can just do whatever the hell she wants and forget about Mm. her gender um it's more that she's likely going to say well i am going to do this because i am a woman um i don't recall seeing that in the show at all. Uh, no, that, I, I don't That either. is the kind of thing that always sticks out like a sore thumb to me, because that is poor writing. Um, I, I don't recall that. I just remember her being into
0: judo. Um, yeah, that was the same with me. I, I remember her being a bit sort of rough and ready and a bit of a tomboy. and so I, I couldn't remember, I didn't remember it was judo. I remember it being some form of combat martial art or some sort of martial art. I don't I didn't remember what it was, but I certainly don't remember her being into feminism, which is a terrible phrase in itself. I was going to say um, that's bad, dude. Into fem- I, I, I'm, re- I'm reading that. That's it's not me saying. I'm reading it. Um, like it's a hobby. Do you know what I mean? Like,
1: oh yeah what, yeah, what do you do? Oh, well, I go to feminism meetings. I go to the feminism club.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I collect stamps and I'm into feminism. <laughs> uh, and then, in, and then she's into environmentalism as well. So again, like it's kind of a fad that she's just kept going through. But again, I don't remember. No, I don't remember any of the characters, particularly her being. Particularly vociferous in no. that you know, you know, we can't use plastic and all this sort of stuff because it just wasn't it wasn't there.
1: No, I mean outside of of the dad making sculptures and stuff uh, from sort of recycled materials and, and shit like that, um, I don't recall in being beat with the environmentalism stick. And let's not forget that this is the time when that was a real hot button topic. You know, around this time we're also getting things like Captain Planet and Global Crusaders and stuff like that. So we're we're getting a lot of these kind of shows where environmentalism is rammed down your throat. Yeah,
0: yeah I mean, it's a little bit earlier than, um, than Captain Planet, I think. But I mean, it's certainly round about the time where um, globally um, countries stopped using CSEs and um, stopped using particular products because of, the, sort of the, um, the greenhouse effect. And it's certainly a time where people becoming, were becoming more aware of it. But I, again, I certainly don't remember this character you know, being out and beating you over the head with, you know, with, with uh, any sort of uh, environmental message.
1: No, it's very. That is a very weird description. That doesn't seem to sum up her character at all. Uh, yeah, I mean,
0: the others, in all fairness, the, the other descriptions, I mean, we, I know we laughed when like, my readers are and I got on wiki intentionally so I can read out these crap descriptions. Um, the rest of them aren't too far off. But that one, I, I read that one um, this afternoon and it just made me piss myself. So, as
1: far as the rest of them go, like, the dad's an artist, then. Nell's yeah, the crazy the, old woman who lives in the in the lighthouse. No, the the she lives next door to the lighthouse. Her family used to live in the lighthouse, didn't they? Yeah, her, her brother was the lighthouse yeah. keeper. Her
0: father yep. was the yep. lighthouse keeper. Her they mother and sister died when the ship sank. Yep. Uh, yeah, the father the father's a widower with kind heart. Um, the Pete the other twin is in, into girls and guitars, playing guitar. With. Yeah,
1: right. I remember guitars. Uh, yeah, and a and really then, bad bowl cut, from what I remember as well.
0: That's it. And then Bronson, who is the younger brother, is obsessed with food and odors. Which, yeah, again, <laughs> there was a big thing made up of the various different smells. And um, I mean, it, again, it's not the best description, but it kind of does sum up the character that no, there was a lot made of him doing things with particular smells. I mean, I think there was one where he was, wasn't he hoarding the smell of his feet towards something off? Yeah, he had like really
1: smelly feet. I'm sure there was one where he had like a, a super sense of smell or something at one point. He was almost like a yeah. superhero
0: um yeah 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 i mean so they're not not too bad i mean some of them are a bit no pun intended on the nose but i mean that that one description of linda is massively off
1: yeah that's really bad to be fair (laughs) um i the the judo thing i get but like why is it acceptable to say for the other characters like he's a widower with a kind heart or He's a rock star into guitars and girls or he's into, like, smells and eating. And then all of a sudden she has to be into feminism, environmentalism and judo. Like, because she's the
0: broken girl in the family, obviously. No, she has to be a feminist because she's the only girl. You know, it's, it's horrible. Absolutely horrible.
1: I, it's just the way it's written, though. I, I blame whoever wrote that on Wiki rather than my brain...
0: Absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, there's not there's not any way of tracking who, who's put what comments on, because if there was, you just email them and call them a fucking idiot. Well, I mean, um,
1: that's, that's wiki for you. But I, I mean, you can't blame the writers of the show there. I think that's somebody no, no, no. that's somebody coming away with it with some weird connotations. Uh, I yeah, said that. But, I don't know. Maybe I get further into the show and especially maybe in the later seasons. I don't know. Maybe that rears its head. And I'm gonna to have to Maybe. redact that. If I do, I'll tweet it out and say I was fucking wrong. But I don't yeah, I definitely I, I don't, don't feel it are. going that way. No, definitely not.
0: Yeah, no, I don't remember it going that way either. Um I say it may just be uh may just be somebody's gone a bit off the fucking deep end. Who I knows? Mean,
1: particularly not by the time you get to seasons three and four then when we're in the two thousands. I mean, fuck, by this time, like we're aware of Joss Whedon, like Buffy is a thing that exists. By that time, like you yeah, don't I mean, not have to that, beat I mean, people with the feminism stick. <laughs> you know, it's you can you can right. make a strong female character without having her to go around telling everyone that she's a strong female character. She can be nuanced, and she can do whatever the hell it is she needs to do, and she can move her own life forward by that point.
0: Yes, um, well, that's certainly I mean, if you look at um, yeah, at that time, I so, say is probably is into season four. I think at that point. Um, something that's been around a while, you've got um, Alias has started, you've had three, if not four Alien films, you, you, you're running up to the third Terminator film you, you know, there are very high profile projects with very prominent female leads who are strong characters who don't go around banging the feminism drum you know, they, they are just running characters in their own right they are people in their own right who happen to be women just the same as as the way the male characters are supposed to be written, that they are you know, they're, they're extraordinary people and they happen to be men and so, also, then, sort of, a sudden, so try and pin the, know, to pin some sort of message that isn't there on the only female character seems a bit redundant. And uh, I don't even blame the writing of the show for that. I think it's very much just a misinterpretation, but it's, it's kind, it's kind of annoying.
1: Yeah, it's kind of sucky. Um, anyway, fuck you, Wikipedia. There you go. <laughs>
0: no, no, that's a bit unfair because I do most of my research on Wikipedia just because it's easy and it's all in one place. Um, it's it's second to Google. Um, which is always right, as we know. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it's quite annoying, because, obviously, because it's an open platform where people can't make edits without any sort of verification being required. You do get some absolute bullshit, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. I mean, we would never... I say we would never, obviously. We would never have written that in the first place, but it makes you wonder whether somebody would then go on there and write of one of the others that, you know, they are an upstanding member of the patriarchy. For instance. I mean, you wouldn't describe a character like that. So why would you describe a female character like that?
0: You Yeah. Uh, Maybe somebody thinks they're helping the cause, I don't know.
1: Uh yeah, it's probably just some SJW somewhere doing their bit and banging their drum. Um so yeah, I don't know, whatever. We've probably given them way too much airtime already. So yeah.
0: yeah. The the good bit is we don't actually know their names, so we can't we can't even uh, put people onto them. Yeah, um, fuck
1: you, anonymous person on the internet.
0: Yeah. Who stays anonymous on the internet? Fucking idiots. Um, yeah. So I mean, we'll move on. I mean, we we'll move on to some of the storylines. We, we talk quite a lot about having um, through storylines, and it's, it's quite it's quite difficult. And I think it's, it's interesting you touched on um, touched on Buffy because there's a very similar sort of feel to it. In as much as you do have these quote what you call quote unquote personal lives and these sort of these realistic stories, and then tacked onto it be a ghost or Demon or some form of supernatural um, element, rather than that being the point of the show, which, which you had with things like Goosebumps and You're in the Dark. Um, but the, I mean, the, the way the storylines were set up. I mean, you could you, know, you, you you could look at this and if it was written in the same era, the dialogue would be a bit ham-fisted because the way dialogue is written has changed a lot since the late '80s. But I mean, you could use these storylines today and make and make as good a show. And I think that kind of stands up. Whereas if you look at some of the the other anthology shows um, where you do have these sort of the monster of the week or ghost of the week episodes. A lot of what scares people is dated, so they, it doesn't really translate. I mean, some of the um, episodes of Goosebumps, where they you know you have a three head a three headed dog. Well, we had that in Harry Potter. You've got a ghost, a, a ghost that can turn invisible and walk through walls. Well, they can all do that. That doesn't scare people anymore. That doesn't certainly doesn't scare kids anymore because they're so used to seeing bigger and better. Um, baddies now they've no, they become used to over the last 10-15 years so that doesn't shock whereas at least by having the story on it you've got something to hang the episodes on and people will relate to the stories and then because of that they go oh yeah that was the one with the skeleton on the that was the one with the no, that was the one with the ghost in the sandwich or wherever it was because they they can they can relate it to a show whereas having i mean there's a twilight um a twilight zone episode where bruce willis calls his home from a bar and he answers I can't remember a damn thing about that episode, other than he's in his own house, you know, he's and he picks up the other end. But I've got nothing to hang that show, and I can't tell you when when that episode came, what was going on in the se- in the series or anything, because there's nothing to pin it on. So I, th- I, th- I mean, I think having the sto- having the through the through story is a very useful device, and think it's, it's probably the reason the show lasted as long as it did. And does it? The storylines are actually quite good as well you, know, we, you look at some kids programs and even if you do have a, a throughput there's not actually much to it
1: yeah and i, I think you, you hit the nail on the head where you you actually said it it's about it's relating those stories and that, yes they're silly but it's then relating those back to the characters there was always an emotional hook to it as well so for instance yeah. things things like the wonder pants obviously that's that's having an effect on on the guy at the time and then you know, you get um, the one with the, the ghost in the shitter, where he's actually got um, a painting, if I remember rightly, or something, or a map, or something hidden in the top of the toilet, and he's Nell knows him, and he's related to Nell, so you tie it back that way. Um, yeah. And it there's always an emotional hook there, whereas with your you Goosebumps and You're Afraid of the Dog, because it went for the throat and it went for those scares. As you say, time moves on, kids grow up, and like yeah okay there's going to be a certain element of the population that's always going to be scared of dummies and clowns and what have you but our cinematic language and our interpretation of the aesthetic of of those kind of things and and the lighting and the effects that they would have used has moved on exponentially since those shows were made so they just look cheap and cheesy to us whereas something that's a little bit cheesy to begin with and goes for the laughs, that will stand the test of time because humor doesn't necessarily age. Um okay, no. it can get a little bit distasteful, but that doesn't necessarily stop it being funny. Well yeah,
0: I mean that's I mean, that's fairly um, prominent at the moment, people are talking about so shows that are popping up on Netflix and things where they were very popular, they were very funny shows, but they some of the humor is quite dated in as much as some of the attitudes towards sexuality or race or whatever it may be are not the same as they are now but it doesn't make it a bad show and it doesn't make the joke unfunny just means that particular sensibilities wouldn't approve of it now but you can't you're not gonna go back and retrofit a joke because what was funny 15 20 years ago isn't funny now that's not how it works
1: no funny's funny and and always will be because there's a there's an element of that um it's a kind of I don't know, I, I don't know what the science of funny is really, I'm not a comedian, but there's an element of the writing and an element of the performance there, and when the two work in tandem, it makes something funny, and that never goes away, you know? Yeah, that's right. So, whereas, as I say, things like trying to trying to present a scare and everything that goes into it to get that scare is a lot, there are a lot more moving parts at work there, I think, and... Yeah. If, any one of them doesn't work. So if the if the emotional hook isn't there, or if the makeup looks bad, or whatever, then it it tips over into funny rather than scary. The two are very closely
0: related. Um, and I think the problem with that as well is that the more things of like that you see, the more you're able to telegraph things, and you can see what's coming a my off. So you, the scare isn't there anymore. You might get the jump factor because something springs out, and your your human reflex is to React is the fight or flight thing, something jumps out in front of you, you recoil because you're afraid that something's going to try and eat you or kill you or wherever it may be. That's that's not the, the thing being scary. That's the thing being shocking. But if you know it's coming, you can kind of steal yourself. You know somebody's going to jump out from behind that bush or pop up out of the sofa or you know, pop up an open window. You know it's coming. You can sort of steal yourself so that when it does come, you you might shrug your shoulders and gasp a bit, but you're not jumping and shrieking, which is what the, the effect was there for in the first place. And if you... It, if you fail that, then there's no point in having it anyway.
1: Yeah, you're right. And, I mean, when when you look again at that kind of uh, the Ghost on the Danny episode, it, the initial scare that comes out of that, you know, you've got a character trapped in that toilet. Or, well, not trapped in the toilet, but the door is closed on the toilet and the toilet starts shaking. And it's set up very much in a traditional kind of ghost reveal sort of way. You expect the door to fly open and there to be this either nothing there or this, like, horrific apparition there. Whereas what actually happens is you see the ghost slowly rise over the gap at the top of the door, smiling and waving. And it's fucking hilarious because it's the complete opposite of what you expect to happen. And you relieve all that that tension instantly with a laugh. Um, And so you you still get the kind of sense of nausea and tension before it. But it doesn't pay off into something that's unintentionally funny. It pays off into something that is intentionally funny and is actually fucking hilarious because
0: of it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair uh, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Um, so let's look at the storylines then. Um, let's say there were four seasons, um, each comprising of thirteen episodes. Um, each episode has a self-contained plot. Uh, each series had a recurring theme, usually an object or characters which appear in every episode. Gradually develops a the theme until the final episode of each season, when it's explained and resolved. To his family were also frequent conflicts with the ruthless local businessman Harold Gribble. And his family, typically, Gribble seeks to remove the twist from the lighthouse in order to more profitably use it as a tourist attraction for the town. It's a continuous feature of the first series and a recurring feature in the third and fourth series. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they kind of knew what they were doing. They knew the story they wanted to tell. And it was just ways of expanding that and keeping it going rather than some change- chopping and changing all the time. Um, So season one um, in 1989, the lighthouse is haunted by eerie music coming from upstairs. In the final episode, Lighthouse Blues, the music is revealed to be played by ghosts of Nell's deceased family. The ghosts help the twist to stop one of Mr. Gribble's business associates from destroying the lighthouse. In a subplot, Tony falls in love with Faye and spends the season developing a romantic relationship with her, culminating in a marriage proposal finale, which isn't answered. So even then, they kind of knew they were having another season, and they set up for what's going to come next in their real lives, not in a the ghost is going to get them or something the, house, the lighthouse is going to fall down it's this this of real worldy. okay well he's proposed now what happens and then you have to wait three years for the answer which is got to be the most I was going to say
1: what what a fuck, if that was intentional and this comes back to why it was split like this because if that if they knew that they weren't getting another season for a while what a fucking ballsy move because not only do kids have incredibly short attention spans mm. and also part of your target audience is going to grow up in that three years, and look back on this as kids' stuff because that's what we like as kids. Yeah. Um So not only do you have that at play there, you also have the fact that this is supposed to be a kids' show, and your big reveal is a marriage proposal. Like, do they give a fuck in the first place? Like, well, that's it. And then you make them wait three fucking years. That, that's boring. And, and
0: the, other, the other part of that is that she she makes him wait three years for an answer. What a bitch.
1: Yeah. Well, she's probably a different person after that three years anyway so you know yeah i think she probably was actually he probably got away. no no
0: it was the same same woman oh wow monogamy yeah it was the the same father and uh, the same father and the same school teacher for the first two seasons
1: oh okay so and then he had
0: a different father for three and four and a different school teacher in three and four jesus yeah no one is hard to follow yeah um yeah, so in season two, is kind of more of the same. The lighthouse is haunted again. This time, the ghosts are visible to viewers, but not to the characters until the final episode. So we see them, but no, it's that kind of pantomime thing of, no, he's behind you. Oh, yeah. No, he's not. Oh, yes, he is, because the characters can't see them. Um, the ghosts of Matthew and Jeremiah, who fade into view once in each episode. They're being punished because as lighthouse keepers 100 years previously, they failed to stop a ship bearing Matthew's lover, Jane, from being wrecked on the rocks. In the final episode, seeing the light, the ghost ship comes again, and this time all the characters in the show would help turn on the lighthouse light and save the family who were lost at sea, redeeming the ghosts. So, mean, no, again, that's. No, it's kind of. It, that's a proper
1: fucking story. There's a redemption arc there and everything. Yeah. That, is, that is an actual human story, albeit about ghosts, but that's. Yeah. That's fucking excellent. That's much better than this just end it on a marriage proposal because we don't really know what to do. Like there's a well, proper yeah, arc for those characters there. That's that's good shit for a kid's show.
0: Yeah. And then um this is the this is where you kind of really get into this the the smell theme. Um um in episode seven, Smelly Feet, he, uh, Bronson reveals he'd been saving the stink to stop the Gribbles from killing an endangered turtle. And in the end he up-saved the turtle. Like, there's your environmental message there. Not with the, the girl,
1: yeah. With with
0: with the youngest with the youngest kid. Um, I mean, you know, potentially a bit of a bit of a, a nod to get a, a nod towards this sort of the anti pesticides you and no know, anti sort chemical movement because you, know, you would have had this issue with CFCs and greenhouse gases and things like that. So, I mean, th- there's your, there's your political statement, there's your environmental statement. Not with not with the girl.
1: And that's a much better way of doing it, wrapping it up in. Uh, in the sort of connotation that can be taken away from the story rather than just beating you over the head with it and saying, okay, kids, CFCs are bad. Like, yeah. sneak it under the radar. That's a, that's a much better way of doing it.
0: Well, that's it. I mean, you... it's it's the, 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 the South Park parody, isn't it, where you've got... Um... Mr. Mackey, you know, drugs are bad. The whole thing of he—he is—he is that character from those 80s shows where he's beating you over the head with every after- school, after-school special you've ever seen. This is bad. That's bad. That's going to get you killed. That's going to get you pregnant. That's going to ruin your life. And it's—it's—it's it's, it's good to see that. You can almost see if you go back and watch kids' TV shows from the sort of, you know, very end of the eighties into the nineties where they tried to transition away from that. And actually. Go, Actually, yeah, kids are people. They're little people, but they're people and they understand more than they're given credit for. So actually give them something to engage with rather than just telling them things are wrong. Because the more you tell them things are wrong, the more they're going to rebel and do them anyway.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And look, if they take nothing else away from it, there's like a bunch of jokes about smelly foot fungus, which... Well, yeah, that's it. Kids are fucking gross. They love stuff like that.
0: Absolutely, yeah. No, no. Anything, that, anything that, comes, that comes out of an orifice is funny, and anything that covers, you know, the, c- comes with a stink or coats you in slime—it's all funny. Yeah, yeah, so, totally. I and mean, uh, so anything that's anything that's gross, you know the worse the better. And the fact that you know he's saving his smelly feet, which is a running gag all the way through—he's saving it in order to achieve a goal, which you never hear from, you, know, you never hear about until that point. Oh, yeah, it actually pays off. They've actually thought about that instead of just making him a character with smelly feet. They, there's a reason for him having smelly feet
1: yeah i mean it's almost that kind of deliberately subversive attitude that that you get you know slightly anarchic stuff that you get in kids tv where like you know as a kid you'd love to do that you'd love to like purposely make your feet smell to repel people just because it's fucking funny and kids are assholes but you you know like your parents would not let you do it you'd be forced to have a bath whereas you know if you had a
0: hippie artist father you'd be fine
1: well, I guess you would, yeah. But you know, you can't get away with that. So seeing it on the TV is fucking hilarious, and probably leads to a weird kind of almost sense of hero worship in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kids I can, are, I can kids get are that, fucking no. weird assholes, man. They. Really are.
0: <laughs> yeah, they certainly can be. Um, so also in season two, Tony and Faye become officially engaged. So she you know, stopped stringing him on after three years and said yes. Um, but Faye becomes increasingly concerned that Bronson. What doesn't a want- fucking tease. Really yeah, I know. Years. three years. Jeez, I what a prick tease! Um, yeah. But Faye becomes increasingly concerned that Bronson does not want them to marry, eventually leading to the engagement being broken off. They're re-engaged at the end of the series. So that whole thing of you know, her going through this, uh, this you no, know, this concern that you know that the, the kids don't want it to happen. They fucking do it anyway.
1: Do you think she was just trying to make him take a bath? Maybe. Maybe. I mean I guess then, it wasn't wasn't she his teacher though? Yes. Yeah, so I mean that's pretty fucking weird as a kid. Like if your teacher's banging your dad, that's pretty fucking odd, isn't it?
0: Yeah, true. So true. maybe yeah. that's what went bumping night. that's what scared him more.
1: Hey, maybe. That's just saying, maybe that's the music in the attic, you know. Maybe that's a different
0: show. Hmm. Um, and then the last point he's got here. For the only time in the show's four, year, four season run, Mr. Gribble's primary concern is not with removing the Twist from the Lighthouse. He spends the series campaigning for a Senate seat with the f- fictional Progressive Conservative Party. Is there such a thing as Progressive Conservatives? Uh, Isn't that an oxymoron? I fucking think so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, take, taking aside the political situation in this country at the moment, you can't be progressive and conservative
1: no by its very definition you are one or the other surely yeah Uh, because to be conservative in its very nature implies that you are risk averse and therefore will not move anything forward so yeah
0: mm, Yeah, Um, i mean that's uh, got to be it
1: that's got to be intentional surely that's got there's got to be a dig built in there you'd have thought
0: it's got to be um yeah, and then disagreeing with his policies now runs against them in a party similar to the Australian Greens and ultimately wins in a landslide. So again, this whole message of um the the Green the they're a bit more respected in Australia than they are here. So the Green Party, they're actually you know, seen as being a reasonable not a reasonably good political party. Um you still, you still have the Liberals and Labour, but they you know, they're they're a very good third, whereas here, you know, they are kind of the also runs kind of like with the uh, monster area party n- not that many people take them seriously because unfortunately their their reach isn't large enough to um to have any sort of real impact anyway whereas i said they certainly at the time australian australian politics was very heavily dominated by uh, by by the greens and the liberals so i mean this this whole thing of having a having a, your your main antagonist as a as a conservative it kind of, sort of speaks to this so the political landscape as well which is quite interesting and again you don't really expect that from a kids show, you don't really yeah. expect that sort of level of comment in a kids show
1: No, definitely not and I think with, especially with the Green Party I think it's probably just a much easier fucking sell in Australia isn't it, I mean they've got a lot of land, a lot of natural wildlife so like I, I don't know what their mascot is but straight away you can be like save the koalas, they're cute the save, the, save the kangaroos, they're funny okay it's a wallaby, there you go, save the wallaby what would we have? like save a fucking fox or a badger or <laughs> do you know what I mean something I mean don't get me wrong foxes are cool I like foxes and hunting is bad but yeah doesn't doesn't exactly inspire you to go out and be like yeah vote the green party save the foxes in the same way that like save the koalas does does it
0: yeah that's that's right uh you know if they did to bring back dragons to this country I'd be quite happy
1: yeah I mean I guess at the best in this country it's like protect a hedgehog or something I don't know hedgehogs yeah, are pretty yeah. fucking hedgehogs are
0: at the moment badgers a couple of years ago hedgehogs seem to be the thing now
1: yeah well I mean badgers are fucking little bastards though so fuck them
0: but well yeah uh, they're evil little fuckers otters are the ones who get me because they're you know they're, they're seen as cute and cuddly, but they're fucking vicious
1: yeah yeah totally I, I just say as a badgers they're little like stripy bastards but like hedgehogs are cute so I'd be okay with that
0: that's right I can get on board with that yeah yeah uh, so, Season look, three, if yeah. anyone
1: from the Green Party is listening, you can have that one. Like, if you want if you want seats in the next election, it's all about fucking help a hedgehog, okay? Look, I've even made your slogan. Vote Green, help, help a hedgehog. Go for it. Yeah. It's not quite hug a hoodie, but,
0: you know, it's, it's getting
1: there. Oh, oh, yeah, no, you can't do hug a hedgehog. You'd get pricked. Yeah, that wouldn't work. Yeah. It's got to be help a hedgehog. There's enough there pricks go. in Parliament already, so.
0: Ain't that the truth. Anyway, no anyway, moving on. We're almost only serious though. That's, that's not a good thing. No. Um, so episode three, so you know, eight-year hiatus. You changed the entire cast with the exception of um, Mark Mitchell, who stayed on to play Harold Gribble. He's the, he was the second Harold Gribble when he, he went for seasons two, three, and four. Um, and Espen Storm, who was the, the director who um, carried on as Mr. Snapper for the third season before being changed in the fourth. So all changed for eight years later because obviously the kids kids are eight years old and don't look like kids anymore. Um, in, the sec- uh, in the second episode, Linda's given a book of poetry called The Viking Book of Love by a young Viking who finds the lighthouse. Uh, in most of the episodes, a character falls in love with somebody who reads poetry from the book to them. Each love spell lasts up until the next one is cast. And in the final episode, The Big Rock, the Vikings return and the book's effects are reversed with terrible consequences. Again, it's... Um, it's fo- the, the series is focusing more on the human aspect than the supernatural aspect. It's, sort of, no, it's more... The emotional side of it, the, the personal side of it, yeah. and again, I think that's possibly why they then got picked, They then had the the, the final season because now,
1: yeah. people were invested. There is there is no way this was two thousand and one. Did you say something like that? Two thousand. Two thousand. Right. There is no way I was regularly watching this show in two thousand. Right. It just I wasn't happening. But I definitely remember some of these episodes with this book. I don't know whether I was just dipping in and out or what, but. I've definitely seen some of this season. I know I have, because I remember this arc about the book. Um, it's yeah, really... I, I remember
0: Vikings being involved. I was surprised when it was one of the later seasons, but I remember Vikings being quite heavily involved.
1: I mean, at this point, I'm 19 going on 20, so maybe I was just dossing around in college, and it's happened to be... Yeah, all...
0: maybe it was no hangover TV.
1: Yeah, quite possible. But I definitely remember some of these episodes. Yeah.
0: Um, and then season four, which aired in 2001, um, in each episode, a knight in armour uh, enters the lighthouse through a magical door. At the beginning of the season, the knight's face is hidden behind a visor. In the second half, of the visor is raised. In the final episode, called The Isle of Dreams, the stranger is revealed to be a girl called Ariel, not a mermaid, who has um, come to offer the children a perfect life on the Isle of Dreams if people become her husband. In the end, they decline, and Ariel disappears forever along with the Enchanted Isle. Um, a subplot in the series is Faced Pregnancy by Tony. The baby uh, was also named Aeros, born in the season finale. Um, and another subplot, Bronson collecting various smells throughout the series with his smell sucker, a vacuum cleaner with a nose built in for storing the smells. This leads Bronson to become a superhero source called Skunkman.
1: Holy fuck. Okay. So I've seen parts of the fourth season as well then, because I remember yes. that. As well. I've, I even fucking mentioned it earlier on. Yeah, Holy did. fuck. So, yeah. I've seen way more of this show than I thought I had. Or maybe maybe just the people that they recast, as I said at the start, looked so fucking similar that I couldn't maybe. even really tell the difference. Because maybe. I've def- I have definitely seen some of that.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I didn't remember um I didn't remember that particular arc. of so the smell sucker and him becoming Skunkman. I did remember the night. So I mean again I, I wasn't aware I'd seen these later episodes, but I must have at some point because I remember a night um, trying to take one of them away as her husband. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's, it's quite funny when you, you know when you look back and think actually yeah I do vaguely remember more of this than I thought. Um, I mean the the smell suck I mean that's obviously you know, that's they're trying you no know, they're trying to retain this and the sense of fun. You know, then that, that's a wh- almost whimsical sort of um, child you know, whimsical sort of childish element. Um, while not while having this you know, this fairly sinister night turning up where nobody knows why not why the night is coming through this knight whose face you never see, um, and having a you know this fairly adult topic of of your your mother figure having a, having a child, sort you know, so these characters who've lost their mum now having another now having effectively a new mother and a, another sibling, and, and so the father having this you know, this new part of the family, so you know, there's some some there's potential for some very adult drama or some very sort of young adult drama mm. there. But they've kept that bit of fun by having Skunkman, which you know, yeah. is genius. What a name.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, that just runs throughout the show, as we said, is that vein of humour, I think, that that kept me coming back. I mean, definitely as a kid, this was event TV for me. This is something I would not miss. And mm. I'm not sure that all of these episodes were necessarily played in order over here either because I do remember seeing the same episodes over and over and over again um, but, but you
0: know, that's not that's not to be um, no that's not to be expected because there's such a big gap between and such a short
1: run episode, as, as well
0: yeah I mean there was there were only 13 episodes there were 15, 52 episodes from start to finish you know it's just not as if we you know we you know, talked about another episode we talked about that a sort of magic number that's six, that's 65 where you get this indication and you and you can play every day. You know, you've got enough to play every day, and you should keep on repeating and repeating. When, but when you had your first hiatus, you three years, you had thirteen episodes to repeat. By the time you had your eight-year gap, you had twenty-six episodes to air. It wasn't as if you know they had an abundance and they could just keep cycling them around. So just keep on seeing them, and I'll talk about some sort of the um, and how often they were and stuff in a in minute. But to, to keep on seeing them, you would only ever see those same twenty-six episodes because that's all there was.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, um, looking at the, um, the sort of the result, in the UK, uh, Ronan's Twist was aired on BBC One during, BBC, uh, during yeah. Channel CBBC um, several times in the 90s and the early 2000s and was repeated again in 2007 on Channel 5 on Sunday morning. So, I mean, it, it was still showing as recently as no, 11 years ago in this country. Um, also regularly appeared on Network 2 in Ireland, popular in Germany, Holland, Canada. Um, it won the Banff TV Festival Award for Best Children's Programme in 2000. And Australia, it won the Logie Award for Outstanding Children's Programme in 2001 and 2002. Now, the Logies are kind of like our BAFTAs. Um, our, our they're they're the, the Australian TV Awards. Um, so to win that two years in a row for Outstanding Children's Programme, you know, it's, it's quite an achievement. Um, and it's nominated for an award in the Australian Film Institute as well. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's... The later seasons are seemingly very cr- well received critically.
1: Okay. I, I don't remember not, those, I, I remember happening. bits the of them, thing. but I don't remember them as well as I remember the early seasons. I think I've got more of a vague recollection of them, whereas the early ones I can remember quite well.
0: But, I mean, I think that that may be your age, and so the time where, as a show, it meant something to you, and it, you know, it was something that you would regularly tune in to watch, and the fact that we repeated ad nauseum during those gaps. I mean, I, I remember them being on every, once a year. No, they'd have the run on once a year on um, CBBC. Certainly, so you'd just seen you'd just seen them at some point every yeah. year for eight years.
1: Yeah, yeah. I Suppose yeah. It, it probably is that, whereas, but
0: yeah. Whereas it, the later ones, you were that much older, and there wouldn't have, there wasn't the opportunity to see them that often.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's got to be a kick in the teeth if those last two seasons were really well received, though, and the the creator had fucked off. That's got to be a real kick well, in the yeah. teeth.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's. Um... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's it's going to be a kick in the teeth. I mean, it, that season didn't get a part, it wasn't as well received by the public.
1: Ah, right, okay. Um, well... did,
0: it, it didn't get the viewing figures, which is why it was eventually cancelled. Um, but just before, uh, and as I say, no, the fact is it was winning awards left, right, and centre shows, you know, it certainly had something about it critically that people were engaging with.
1: Yeah, well, I guess that's vindication for him then, at least if the, if the audience fucked off, then he must have been doing something right, I guess. So,
0: Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, that's kind of how you have to look at it. Um, in terms of this, there's three parts I'm left to go through on this. I mean, it's fairly, I'll go through the um, home video releases. Um, it was released on um, DVD. Um, there were seven, seven volumes which had all 52 episodes on them. Um, and uh, it was a DVD box set. Um, it was the first three DVDs had um were rated U and the fourth was rated PG. Um it's on Netflix in Australia. It's um it's still uh still still showing on ABC three, so one of their one of their cable channels. It's still being aired now. I mean it hasn't they haven't made a new series in seventeen years, but it's still it's still showing I mean, it's nearly thirty years since it was first broadcast and they're still showing it. So that shows kind of how much appetite there is for it.
1: Okay. Right. It's on Netflix in Australia. So like Netflix, seriously, get on this shit. Like what are you doing? Well, yeah. Seriously. Well, I said
0: I don't know if it's on Netflix here. I haven't looked. Um, I should have done, but I didn't get down d- around to it.
1: I don't think it is, but like this, this is prime for a, a redo. Like, get on this shit, Netflix.
0: Seriously. Yeah. So I mean, we talk, we talked um, about the production in terms of like, changing writers and things like that. Um, so the first two seasons were written by Jennings with he- um, heavy editing by um, director Epson Storm. Um, each of these episodes the exception of the second season finale scene the light like, were based on Jenny's short stories um so yeah so the, the source material is there and I think whether there the there was more source material to pull from they didn't use it or whether um there wasn't the material to to make more episodes of I don't know I mean that seems to be the cutoff point um a movie a Swiss movie was planned but due to creative differences it was never made It doesn't say what the creative differences were which is annoying because I mean that's always the most interesting part is why always why people fell out yeah um, after the second season, Jenny's left the show taking the rights his stories with him, so there you go. So that's why they that's didn't make Probably more why to... the movie didn't happen then, isn't it? Yeah. But Well I mean, hours for the movie I mean, that he just put a spat his toys out and going out and taking bat I mean, and ball and going out.
1: You don't base the movies on the short story anyway. You go fucking look look, make the movie now. Netflix, this is your pitch. Make the movie now. Go meta as fuck and get the cast from all four seasons all together in one place in a shared universe. And the fucking lighthouse is some sort of weird TARDIS thing that lets them all travel to alternate universes and meet each other. There you go.
0: There you go. There's your pitch. Copyrights. Royalties to us. Thank you very much.
1: And, you know, ghosts and shit, but...
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. goes without saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the third and fourth series were written by, um, by various writers and reused the same characters but didn't draw from Jane's original material. The latter series don't match the popular acclaim in the originals and because of this, the series was cancelled incidentally just two years before the third season was aired, Jennings' stories were being adapted uh, into a different show called driven crazy uh, which also fell to match the popularity of round the twist uh, which only one season was produced so he he kind of went i'm taking my stuff elsewhere i'm going to make my own show Fuck you and even that didn't pan out but i think by the time by the time he got to do it that would be six years after the second season aired the appetite wasn't necessarily there anymore i think that was part of the problem is that by the time it came around so the audience who would have been waiting for this for six years are now older teens who are now thinking, fuck that, I want a little pub. they do think... not necessarily, necessarily having the you know having the, the effect that they have no, that they wanted.
1: No, I think there's also an element again of because these were character driven stories, there's an element of connection to the characters there as well where this worked for the first season because it was slightly zany and different and off the wall. And then it worked for the second season because you got invested in the characters in the first season and so on and so forth. Whereas to try and relaunch it, well, it's not zany and off the wall anymore because we've seen it once before and we've seen it with this group of characters and, well, you can't say this group of actors because there were four different troops altogether. But we've seen it it before at that point and we don't have the investment in those characters. So I guess even though the creators involved it's still unfortunately going to be looked at as a knockoff, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's it. And I think that's that, that's kind of where it fell down in the end. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the that like the content is very widely praised. Um, it's not, uh, the, the statement here is, um notable for having pushed the boundaries of what's acceptable in children's television, which I think that's fair. I think we sort of covered that in some of the yep. stuff they talked about. Um, but so much so that the, um, the company that made it, the Australian Children's Television Foundation actually couldn't find a distributor. Excuse me, couldn't find a distributor for it for quite a while after it was made. Um, according to the um, ACTS marketing manager, uh, the script was declared too rude, not safe for television, and outrageous. Um, so the whole thing of you well, know, it, it was pushing boundaries. It was outlandish, but even even by Australian TV standards, it wasn't appropriate.
1: Yeah, I, I can definitely quite, see why that would have been the case. It, it is. There's is like a lot of fucking here, toilet humour there.
0: It. I can understand that here to an extent, although by this point we've already had all the Python stuff. I can certainly understand it in America because American comedy, especially American kids' comedy at the time, was very safe. I mean, I remember when you had episodes of Things I like Saved by the Bell, which would become a couple of years later, the most risque thing they had talked about was caffeine pills and cigarettes. So, you know, having shit demons. And you know, some of the things they talked about, you know, flatulence, defecation, um, birth... Death, nudity, incest, genitalia, homosexuality, bestiality, all this thing, all this stuff. It's all in there. And you're thinking, hang on, this is a kid's show. That's a bit yeah. much.
1: Yeah. I mean, we never had anything to that extent. But I think by this point, we certainly had had things like Round the Bend, which, yes. you know, there was an, there was a lot of toilet humour there as well. But certainly no...
0: Was that the one with the, the puppet crocodile?
1: Yes, that's the one. Yeah. They lived, and he lived in a sewer. And they had like yeah. Fartman or whatever it was in there. and
0: That's yeah, yeah. right. Yes, so... I remember.
1: You know, that was that was quite kind of Ren and Stimpy-esque. I mean, I guess at this point we'd had Ren and Stimpy as well, but then
0: yeah.
1: that wasn't considered a kid's show. Maybe in this country it was aired as such, and I guess it was on Nickelodeon, but uh, we've already talked about Ren and Stimpy. You, you know my feelings on that. It's certainly too good for kids. Um, but yeah. I guess that was out there, but, I mean, pushing the envelope with things like bestiality is... Jesus. I mean, if you get away with that on adult TV, then... Well, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's that. fucking hell. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> that
0: one's yeah. That's uh, I mean, it, there's a list on um, on the wiki page of some of the um, some of the things they talked about. I say some of the the more taboo things: flatulence, defecation, urination, vomiting, body odor, underwear, uh, birth involving male, um, death, nudity, incest, genitalia, homosexuality, bestiality, coprophagia, which is eating shit, and infantilism. So you know, it's. There's a lot of oh, uh, what the fuck! They're professional. literally eating shit.
1: There and infantilism as well. Like there is nothing funny about these things. Like what, well, <laughs> gross but not funny. I mean, yeah.
0: But I suppose it depends on the way you do it, doesn't it? If you've not,
1: it, uh, I guess again, it's it, all it's all in the context. I guess
0: so. That, that's it, and, and kids will find it and present it as being funny. No, we're not talking two girls, one cup. We're talking about a joke about somebody eating shit.
1: Yeah, plus, like I said, kids are assholes, so I'm sure they found it funny. Yeah, I'm sure, sure I would have as a kid as well. So yeah, who am I to judge?
0: Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so I mean, it, it it's an interesting show, and I mean, there's a lot more to it than I remember. Um, and I'm, I'm having gone through sort of the storylines and, and read about the rest of the synopsis of some of the episodes, I do remember more of it than I thought. I've got to be honest.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, as I say, I, I remembered two things mainly. I remembered the theme tune, and I remembered ghosts. Um, I I was vaguely aware that it was funny as well. I remember in, enjoying it because it was quite light-hearted. I don't ever really remember being scared of it. Having gone back and watched it, um, I've watched about four episodes. I've thoroughly enjoyed what I've watched. Um, <laughs> It like I said, it doesn't work on any kind of highbrow level. Certainly not the way I'm watching it at the moment. You know, I'm I'm not getting environmental messages out of it. I'm not getting any kind of sort of subtext hidden away for me to find. I'm just getting what is essentially a very lightweight, kind of silly, funny, weird comedy. Um Yeah, it's
0: kind of just enjoyable. It's kind of throwaway. I think for me I mean yeah. I guess I'm not- I mean I've not been able, I've not found full episodes to watch. I'll have to go back to, to YouTube and look I, I, I may have been half asleep when I was logging, but I certainly found lots of clips. But there's nothing in there I'm going, oh fucking hell, they're doing this, they're doing that. It's just a very fun show.
1: It is, and I've enjoyed it as such, and I I will continue watching It's not gonna be something that I'm gonna binge. Um no. but I'm certainly gonna be, you know, if I've got twenty five minutes to kill, then Yeah. I I and I'm and I'm in the mood for something you know, for some dick and fart jokes, which, I mean, I'm always in the mood for dick and fart jokes. So, yeah, I'll probably throw some on, and I I probably will slowly work my way through at least the first season, because it's on YouTube. Having said that, with what we've just discussed and where the show goes later on and some of the themes that are brought up, like, I kind of want to get to that now and just see how it's handled. (laughs) So...
0: (laughs) Yeah, me too, I love that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in for this one. Look, it's not the best show that we've revisited far from it but it's nowhere near the worst either it's it's very is. enjoyable it's and yeah it's fun it's a good time I certainly would have no hesitation recommending it to people who both people that have seen it and remember it fondly because they'll enjoy it from that aspect I'd, I'd also recommend it to especially younger people that haven't seen it I think kids will still get a blast out of this show because it's still gross, which they'll still find funny. Um,
0: yeah, they... I mean, the problem is that you, if you come at it now, it's very. If you were to come at it for as somebody from our age, looking uh, nostalgically, yes, you'd say, "Fine, I can do that." But if you were to come at it now, having never seen it, I don't think it would really translate that well. I don't think you'd have the same enjoyment. No. As uh, as suddenly as, no. as we've had going back to it.
1: No, definitely not. As I say, it would be recommended to people who would who would go back and watch it, perhaps, and for new for new viewers, it would be kids. Uh, I still think it'll be funny to kids and immature people like myself. So yeah, that's
0: fair. I think that's probably uh, a fair assessment. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean that's that's around the twist, and I I remembered more than I thought I did when I was reading through it. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. As we've talked, and more things have come out. That oh yeah, fuck, yeah, that's right. And I think for me, it's it's a see it at the back of my brain somewhere that I you know I know I've seen things and I know I've I remember things and as I'm picking up more clips and picking up full episodes, I go, oh that's where that's from. I remember that because there are bits which I know there are things in my brain go, where the fuck have I seen that before. And at some point, I'm going to have to see the thing or read the thing that I've read before or seen before and real and have that sort of light bulb and go, oh yeah, I remember. And there are a lot of those as we were talking. There are a lot of those for me here things like the um, Skunk Man and the um and the, the smell, the smell sucker things like that. Now, as we're talking, about, like, oh fuck yeah, I do remember that. And so getting, getting, almost getting sort of that sense of enjoyment I had first time around. Yeah, up you know, getting it just from remembering it now. So, I mean, that's that's certainly um, that's what I've taken from this. I mean, I'll certainly go back and find some full, full episodes again. Wouldn't binge it because it'll be confusing as fuck with all the different actors. Uh, I, I think it's, it would be very difficult to follow if you're trying to binge it
1: yeah definitely it's something that as i say you just stick on and, and watch every now and again or you know just fire that theme tune up that's a good time in and of itself so
0: yeah i may have to make that my ringtone piss off everybody in my office over of a certain age
1: yeah and i mean it'll be on the front and end of this podcast so you need look no further for that
0: yeah absolutely <laughs> um so, yeah, so that's, that's around the twist. Um, if you want to talk to us about it or if you want to talk to us about anything else, recommend some shows that you think we might like or we might have seen previously and we, we could talk about, um, you can get in touch. You can go to our website. That's www.ddpodcast.net. Uh, you can find us on Facebook with the Double Down Podcast Network. Um, you can find us on Twitter, although we use it less, less frequently than some of the others. Um, we are at SMPDPod and we're also at ddpodcastnet so get in touch anywhere you want to have a chat we're always open for a chat mainly because it means that people are listening and we've got somebody to talk bollocks with Uh, but until next time
1: see you later